Hello, my name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to Isn't That Interesting? Hello and welcome. Today I'm here with Amy Anthony. Welcome, Amy. Hello, Karen. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. You're a certified aromatherapist. I'm just going to look here. And an aromatic gardener, an aromatherapy educator, herbalist gardener, certified master composter. I was going to say composer then. I've got music on the brain. And an artisanal distiller. That's a lot of stuff that I do not know what it means. <laughs> so talk, to, talk to me about what it is you do. What is it? I mean, aromatherapy, I kind of know, but I don't know the rest of it. I love it because I'm still trying to figure all this out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the long and short of it is, and this is actually a message that I had to realize over my years of studying aromatherapy since 2012. And then I became serious in 2015. And that was when it became certified, my level one. Like, I grew up in the garden. I grew up in, like... Uh, not the suburbs, like by farmland, by wetlands. And my mom is into plants. My grandmother on her side is into plants. And I needed nature. And I moved to New York City because that, at that time it was so important to me when I was going to college. And I lost that contact. And I knew I needed to be connected to nature. I worked in the market research field uh, and the supply side and the client side. I ended up at a very large bank doing client satisfaction research. Great stuff. I still love that, but I was empty. I was always trying to find an outlet. And uh, the essential oils found me. And it's a way to connect with nature when you can't. That's my message about aromatherapy. And like once I was in, I was hooked. I started, I'm like, I'm very process oriented. So like I'm a distiller. I have two copper stills. I have a home in Long, Long Island as well on Long Island. And I'm like, you read about distilling essential oils. That's how they're obtained. But I'm like, well, how do you do that? What's that about? And I'm a gardener and like, it all just comes together. So it's, I'm just nosy. <laughs> I really want to figure stuff out and try to understand things and get really immersed into experiences. So why is it that, because I know myself before I started today, I have like a room spray that's a surrender, you know, it's got patchouli. I can't remember what else. I just know the patchouli smell, probably lemongrass and a couple of other things. Why is it that, because smells evoke emotions from us don't evoke emotions from us yep. the mo most easily of anything don't they yeah there's a direct like two synapses away from cortical tissue is our sense of smell and reception and scent recognition sense integrate with our hippocampus which is the formation of memory and that's one part of aromatherapy is that the associations like cultural associations memories and then there's other levels of aromatherapy working distinctly with essential oils. So and what's that level? Talk to me about that. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty deep. Uh, and I, I, it's part of my message is reminding us because uh, smell, when we're working with these incredibly volatile essential oils, they're 100% genuine and authentic essential oils. We don't work with synthetics. We're not perfumers, but there's a, there's a bridge between those. 
And when I smell this incredibly concentrated patchouli oil I have here, you mentioned that, I'm smelling like what probably took a hundred. I still talk in pounds. We haven't graduated to the metric system. I'm smelling like a hundred pounds of patchouli here in this bottle or more. Like it's incredibly concentrated material. And when I take a drop of that essential oil, and I hope you do this and that your guests do on a scent strip, I have perfume blotters or a cotton pad. Those volatile components are getting into our bloodstream when we're smelling them. They're hitting scent recognition. So when I smell that, I'm breathing chemical components into my body, going into the lungs, and your cortical tissue, your olfactory bulb, your olfactory tract is highly innervated and highly vascularized. So you can start to have these chemicals dock, not just on scent receptors, but on to the and through the olfactory tract, which potentiates uh, neurotransmission. There's a couple of things come up for me here. This tends to happen. Is that why when we smell something like eucalyptus, it clears our sinuses? Because yeah, the actual molecules of eucalyptus are going in and, and that's, that's what's yeah. happening. Yeah, so it's twofold because essential oils are so crazy. So in eucalyptus, there's the uh, chemical component called eucalyptol, and that's been studied for a long time. And that is known to work with the respiratory tract and clear mucus and be clearing. But essential oils, because they can have those really physical properties and work with pain, inflammation, some oils with um, like respiration, we can have really physical things uh, like clearing mucus. And then they work with the emotions and the neuroendocrine system. That's why you might feel a little clearer, brighter after smelling eucalyptus. Or classically, lavender is great for pain and inflammation, burns. But a specific type of lavender, like high-altitude lavender, has certain chemistry. It is sedative on the nervous system. So it does calm you and can make you sleepy. So it's this mind-body connection that essential oils have that I think a lot of the marketing out there is not really sharing and being honest about. Yeah, and I think a lot of us just think, oh, nice smell, that makes me feel good. I like that smell. We don't necessarily look into the whys and, and, or anything. Or, and, and the molecule thing fascinates me. I remember years ago, <laughs> one of my kids' teachers came up to me. They were at a Montessori school. So that it, there was very much this sort of thing was in the, the whole ethos of the place. And one of my son's teachers came up to me and she said, I've just found out that when you're smelling something, you're actually taking in the molecules of that thing. She said, so I really don't like going to the toilet anymore. <laughs> you know, true, true. There's truth to that. But yeah, it's like. You're breathing anything in, anything you can smell is so small that you that it goes to your receptors. But yeah, you're breathing that in. And I say it becomes you, but it doesn't in a sense because you have to metabolize it and excrete it. Your liver has to process it. It goes through your kidneys and stuff like that. So it's thanks for I'm glad that she, your, that teacher said that because you're like, yeah, good point. 
Well, it actually, it also makes a lot of other things fall into place. Like if you're in a highly polluted area, if you're in a lot of smog, why it impacts us so badly? Because we just think, well, we're breathing in that dirt. We don't think that it's actually going into us through the membranes of the, the nasal passages. Yeah, there and here. Yeah, it's it's deep. And that's the thing about scent is because it's a chemical sense. It's something that like it seems like it's out here, like we're just talking about. It's away from you and outside of you and can't penetrate you. I think it takes us a lot to get our heads around to be like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Because it seems abstract, I think. Mm. You know? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. We oh, don't just necessarily gonna... make that connection between the two things. Yeah. And anytime you're smelling, this is the soapbox I want to share and to talk about as even as when our whole lives, but we age, you think about endocrine disruptors, all of the synthetic scents that are in body care, laundry products, all this stuff is not good for us. And not just because I think it all smells bad, but our bodies have to process this chemistry, scented candles, air fresheners, that ain't aromatherapy. That's that's bad stuff. And when you're really in like a taxi cab with those terrible air fresheners or you're just polluting your environment with synthetic scents, you might start to get a headache, feel nauseous. Like that's your body being like, stop. I don't know what to do anymore. I need a break. And genuine and authentic essential oils can do this too. This is why we respect they're so tiny. It takes a lot of plant material. They're so concentrated. And all we need to change our mood is to take, I love orange, let's pretend. Smell one drop of orange oil. That's all you need. And it could just shift you like in, in a, like a minute or two minutes. In some ways, is the oil unimportant in a way? Like if it has the response on you that you want, you know, like if it's orange oil, like narrowly for me. Mm -hmm. just oh I just love the smell of it for whatever reason is it kind of secondary the impact that it has on us clinically like narrowly maybe I don't know what does it do tell me what narrowly does narrowly it's really known to be it has research behind it to really be an anxiolytic to work with just tempering that fight flight to be anti-anxiety calming but not sedating and it's twofold. What you're bringing up, it's like the, it's and. It's mm. the, I love this. So yes, even you loving and smiling changes your chemistry, changes yes. your being. But like you're saying, aromatherapy, there's the therapeutics of it. Like neroli, great for draw, like congested skin, skin, like flowers are great for skin. All the aromatherapy oils, flowers go with skin. That's just hands down kind of a rule. There's, it's both. It's the, I love this. And then the therapeutics. And that's when the aromatherapist comes in. And if you're like, I can't stand the smell of patchouli, but I'm like, but patchouli is great for varicose veins and chilling you out. But you're like, no, I have bad memories. I will be like, well, guess what? I know of some other oils that aren't like patchouli, but can do similar things. Like that's the aromatherapist's job is to no oils and to work with somebody to help make that person something special for them that they want to love using. 
Mm. That was the other place I was going to go because for years patchouli gave me a headache. But I actually think that it was because when I was smelling patchouli, it was a very cheap, probably synthetic version of it. And yet when I've got a good quality patchouli, it's it's actually great. Makes me feel really good. But for years I associated patchouli with headache. Yeah, you're right. That's it's it and that's as a way to start to work with essential oils is to smell something. And if you smell, it smells flat, metallic, it gives you a headache. That's one way to be like, hmm, I don't think this is a genuine and authentic essential oil. This might be adulterated. Because unless you absolutely hate the smell of something because of some really bad memory, good essential oils should be like, I always say it's like a poem. There's this like, it changes because there's different chemical components in there. There's a complexity that reflects the plant used to was alive once. The plant was producing these molecules for its to enhance its life. See, I can go on and on about this. No, this is really great because it's made me think as we change, as we as we grow older from being children to, to adults, because I remember when we first came to Australia, which was 30 years ago now, I gardenias, and I'm talking about walking past a gardenia plant, would give me a headache. And now I love the smell of gardenias, but back then I couldn't. So it's like, okay, what's changed? And maybe some of the patchouli when I was younger was good quality, but I didn't like it. It didn't click with me at all. I don't know. And those lilies that really smell, you know, the big white lilies, well, the big lilies we get over here, I can't remember. They smell quite strongly. I know my mother-in-law just hated them, hated the smell of them. I only found out when I bought her a big bunch when she was sick. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops, sorry, mom. (laughs) (laughs) But you're bringing up something interesting that, because when something's new, you're like, it's different. And it's proven, you know, our, everyone has different scent receptors. It's genetic. So some people smell something one way, some people, people smell something differently. And then sometimes you can't smell something at all. And there is adaptability. There is maturity. I love how you're bringing that up. Things get better as we get older. <laughs> And this is fun too. It's like these, these florals and there's not a lot of the essential oils that are, we don't get a lot of florals by the way, because those flowers just can't withstand the distillation process. They're so delicate, but a lot of those florals are cloying and it's like, all you need is a tiny bit of them. If you're, if you're blending like a, excuse me, a botanical perfume, you know, just working with essential oils, you just work in these little amounts and you can make something gorgeous. I wonder if that was it, because both patchouli and gardenia are heavy kind of scents, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And again, they're so concentrated too. So as a as an aromatherapist, one thing that's, and you probably see this and your listeners see this, thanks to social media and the global universe we live in, there's a lot of crap out there, but there's a lot of focus on safety. How do you safely apply essential oils And we have standards for diluting them when we're especially applying them on the body or guidelines for diffusing essential oils in your space, because we have to think of these things of safety and 
Yeah. You don't want to be feel like you're getting punched in the face by a gardenia. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about the distilling process. What's What's that? Um, also, what is an aromatic gardener? Is is that just you grow whatever smells nice? Well, let's get to distillation after aromatic gardening. Uh, mm. I'm, I've grown up as a gardener, as I mentioned, and even living in New York City, I tried to find ways to connect with plants. But the aromatic gardening is part of my curiosity. So as an aromatherapist, I was like, well, I have to know what these plants look like. How do they grow? What conditions do they like? How can I be a teacher, a practitioner, and an educator if I don't understand these plants? And our home on Long Island and uh, this whole area, deer are here and rabbits. And many uh, of these creatures don't like aromatic plants. You know, think of your herbs and spices, lavender, mm -hmm. santolina, thyme, lemongrass. The plants produce these two act as deterrents often or attractants. So to really, the short answer is aromatic gardening really is like growing this so I can understand who these guys are and just be like, hey, rabbits, you don't like this. Ha ha ha. Go somewhere else and eat. <laughs> that, that's really it. It sounds kind of cool, right? But it's really like when you're gardening to be like, Hey, who are you, plant? Let me get to know you. And I just specialize in the aromatics. So do plants put off different aromas to, say, attract bees and birds and repel animals that might eat them as opposed yes. to sort of prolonging their um, life by, what do you call it, pollinating yeah, it's, it's definitely, and you look, could look across the plant families, uh, like there's been this, um, and a lot of good research done on this. I have a few books by some academics of the, the ever going evolution of plant and insect, and they adapt to each other over time. So a lot of the classic examples are the conifer trees, like the pine trees, and a lot of beetles like to come and eat and burrow and do this stuff. So then you'll have the plant will give off distress signals, some of them aromatic, to be like, oh, I know the predator of this beetle. I'm going to call, send out these chemo messages. to like, hey, I need some help. And then there could be other chemistry that signals to other parts of the plant or other plants around it that are the same species. Like, oh, this is happening. Start, you know, it's time to start doing this, like pump up this chemical. So it's this dialogue. It's a way of communication between I did not plants. That. Yeah, between insects. Yeah, it's it's deep. There's a lot of cool research out there. Wow, <laughs> that's fun. That isn't, yeah. yeah, that is yeah. incredible because that kind of intimates a, a, an ongoing conversation that most of us have no clue about. Yeah. We're like, we're, we're not there. We're not in the, we're, we're in this different wavelengths of the plants and the insects. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I know. So how long has this research been going on into this kind of thing? You know, that's a good question. So I have, I'm just going to look at one of my bookshelves here, like plant behavior and intelligence. You know, like this stuff is probably in the night, probably 1990s into the 2000s. I have one here, 2014. 
But I think a lot of stuff is really, when you said like years ago, I don't think people considered saying plants have intelligence. And I think a lot of stuff started in the seventies. There's one book that got a lot of hype and was debunked, but I think it crept into the 1970s. And now with research, uh, I think a woman, a professor in the Pacific Northwest, she was really integral in showing how there's the, the mycorrhizal, am I saying that right? The roots of trees talk to each other. She was doing research probably 20 years ago. So I have this one here too, Plants in the Human Brain. This is the one I love, David O. Kennedy. This is like academic stuff. I don't recommend this for beach side. <laughs> it's like, like for me, it's like three pages at a time. I just want to, yeah, 2014. There's two books here, uh, 2014. Wow. So, yeah. So it's still it's fairly new, isn't it? We still don't really have a depth of experience in that field. No. And you know what's exciting and then what's kind of a bummer? First, the exciting part is the big hype about cannabinoids and terpenes. And guess what? Essential oils are made up of terpenes. Essential oils contain many components that the aromatic hemp does in pot. So there's a lot of research being put into marijuana. You know, lots of dollars can be spent there because people can make money. And back in the day, people in our countries, they didn't want to spend money on plants. That You can't patent a plant thing, right? It's free. It's this free stuff that you can't do that. And a lot of the countries that were doing great research and still are, are like Italy, uh, India, Japan was doing a lot of research. There's a lot of countries that were doing research because like in India, I mean, they're still looking at Ayurvedic medicine and plant medicine, you know, so they wanted to fund that. But like in the United States and probably Australia, they're like, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to patent that and make money. So cynical. <laughs> While we're it's on true. cynicism, the big essential oil companies, the MLM, MLM yeah. how their claims about, you know, they're the purest oils in the world and blah, blah, blah. Without digging a hole for yourself, talk to me about yeah. that. <laughs> I think, and I will never bash anybody because I try to stay really independent. I don't advocate brands or anything. Mm. But the way I look at this is essential oils are from plants and there are people that understand plants and distillation and the therapeutics and it really sucks when you start to commoditize thing and just turn something like a beautiful plant and the therapeutics of an essential oil to pushing product. So what I tell my clients, I see people one-on-one -on -one in person. And I've told this to students when I was teaching uh, certification courses, your job as an aromatherapist is to not have repeat clients. Your goal is to get to the cause and try to help them address the root issue so then they move on. So if I'm, it, it's like the whole thing of you, uh, like razor companies, you give them the whole razor and stuff, they have to keep buying the blades. Like you don't want that because you're not supposed to be working with these chemicals every, every day, you know, and like ingesting them and putting them everywhere. Like it's not, it's not a product. So that's my long-winded answer. 
No, that's no, really know. interesting because that is something they talk about. We were watching a program the other night, my daughter and I, and about the big essential oil companies specifically. And there were people saying, oh, essential oils, you know, I'll use this six times a day and I'll use this one and it's every day. And and you're saying no to that? That's not what should happen? So, yeah, we were talking about using the products every constantly yep. all the time. So, and that's what they promote those companies, isn't it? Like use the products, use this, use that, buy a pack of 12 essential oils as a starter pack and you need to use them every day and oh my gosh these essential oils make me feel so good and yeah, yeah talk to me about that kind of thing that's not how yeah. they should be used no i mean hands down no and i'm pausing because it goes back to the oils are a way to connect with nature and when you look at being it's not always just good to ingest stuff, right? Like one great ways to holistically help ourselves is to take a walk outside and get fresh air, <laughs> right? Like there's so many ways to help ourselves and eat good food and, and have a really nice cup of herbal tea and drink a really nice refreshing glass of water. That is lovely. And then we can turn to the oils when we have a special need, say you're in this transition of crisis, you're like, I can't sleep. I'm feeling a little depressive, not clinically diagnosed as depressed. I'd want you to go to see a specialist for that. But essential oils are, are for moments and time and transitions. And there, there are these agents to help bring shifts to a place of ideally, you'll say equanimity. You know, like I just had a client last week working with menopause and hot flashes. And uh, I gave her explicit instructions on how to use her products and she'll run out of them. And she wanted to have more. She's like, oh, another send of like, let's wait and meet in three months and see how things are going. And I also gave her a recommendation for certain herbal teas and herbs. So it's this, I hope I was being clear there. It's It's about supporting you in transitions. It's not a lifestyle in that sense. It's for help. That That's really interesting because going back to India, I've done a lot of Ayurvedic, had a lot of, uh, I've worked with Ayurvedic practitioners and I know they say the same thing. Here's some herbs, take them for two weeks or three weeks and then mm -hmm. come back to me in two months because you've got to allow the body to adjust. And all it does is it kickstarts a certain process in the body and then you let your body take over. Yep. That's it. I, I have to quote my herbalist teacher. His name is Jim, Jim McDonald based in Michigan here in the United States. And his teachers would say herbs help the body do stuff. And I love that. Because it's like, oh, what's the scientific process? We still don't know a lot of this stuff. But people have known for hundreds, if not thousands of years, that certain herbs are have an affinity for the respiratory tract. You know, like OSHA root here in the United States from the um, Rocky Mountains is really great for deep, 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 bad congested lungs. And it's over-harvested. Um, like, you just know these things. You pass it down over generations. You don't want to take OSHA root every day. Interesting because it's like we want uh, a quick fix panacea. We don't actually believe our bodies 
and I, I am extrapolating here, we don't actually believe our bodies can do anything that they, you know, if there's something wrong, we need to take something to fix it and we possibly need to take it permanently so that it doesn't come back again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, and this is the thing is aromatherapy and herbalism work very nicely together, but a lot of the herbs, people work with herbalists to help you can get to that critical point of, yes, uh, you hit the point of no return and you have permanent kidney damage, you know, or, or you can't reverse diabetes. But if you catch it and you work with herbs and lifestyle changes, you can say, hey, I'm off that edge. I'm going back to not needing to be on permanent medication. Yeah, your body, you could give the herbs, the plants give the gentle nudges. It's such soft language, but we have to talk that way. But yeah, but it's also like, um, it's also about not letting things go too far, isn't it? And being aware of our bodies. And I don't think a lot of us are necessarily aware of what's, of the signals that our bodies are giving us. Yeah. Uh, we have to pay attention and be taught how to pay attention by our elders, I think, you know, it's, you're right. Like if something hurts and you know, it's like, oh, you hit your hand on the door. It's like, okay, obviously. But if something's not right, your body's like, hey, not right. Like I'm laughing because all the antacid commercials, I think this has kind of went away, but it's like, go ahead and eat all the fried fat food you want. Just keep popping these things. Your antacid's like, well, no. You know, because that those things stop the body from doing something. You don't want to do that because then you get the side effects. So, yeah, this is a whole big conversation, right? Because like aromatherapy and herbalism, it's about lifestyle changes, too. It's like I could make you the most gorgeous product for uh, supporting menopause or sleep or anxiety. But if you're not doing other things, it's, it's not going to help as much. <laughs> but that's the problem, isn't it? Because we don't necessarily want to change anything. We just want it fixed. Yeah, it's hard. It's <laughs> Being alive is hard, right? It's like you're used to your routine and you're like, yeah, get up, have my coffee, do whatever. And the routine until it's disrupted. It's you know, like, I want to keep doing what I'm doing because it's comfortable. And easy. It's easy usually. Yeah, I don't have to think about it, right? That's, I'm guilty of that. You know, it's like we're all messy human beings. So you work with people, there's a place I want to go and I'm going to get there probably in a very long-winded way. So you work with people mainly one-on-one. -on -one. You you don't run massive classes. You you want to talk to, like a doctor almost, or a naturopath, you, you work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. So I do, I do give workshops. Like I love like this podcast journey I'm on. I love sharing this information and sharing what essential oils are and their potential. And I do give community workshops, uh, but I do love consultations, one-on-one -on -one consultations um, and making bespoke products for people to address their needs. And I'm not anti off the shelf that has a place, but I, it's it's what's right for me. It's I love that one-on-one -on -one connection with people. 
But you're also a representative for, what is it, the International Association of Aromatherapists, is that right? The, thank you. The Alliance of International Aromatherapists. Yes, I'm the currently the New York State representative. And what so, does that involve and, involve and why did you do that? What it involves is I'm the member representative, so I'll be like reaching out to my New York State reps. If someone's interested, someone can like get in touch with me, like, I want to learn more about the AIA. So it's a volunteer position. But what I found is, and a lot of people go through this, you go to get your certification, you're immersed in this stuff, you're around people that get it, and then you're just kind of thrown out back into the world. And I miss my community. I want to be around other aromatherapists to feel connected to like the Alliance of International Aromatherapists and there's other global organizations. They provide standards for eth uh, ethics, for education. So you, you can open an aromatherapy school, but it's better if you're approved by someone like the AIA or we also have NAHA here, the National Association for Holistic Aromatherapy, and there's other bodies. It's a, it's a professional like, group of friends, and there's continuing education opportunities, and it just helps you feel connected. And it's my way to be like, hey, I'm a representative. If you have questions and want to seek out a local aromatherapist, someone near you so you can go smell the oils with them, you know, have a consultation, you can find someone by you. And to me, that's important. So I'm here to advocate for, I'm not making money doing this podcasting stuff, by the way. I'm like, I'm like this voice for aromatherapy. And I want you, I want your listeners to be like, hey, let me find someone that's in my geography. Mm -hmm. That's actually, you've, you've hit on something that's really important to me because I get asked so many times. So how much money do you make from podcasting? And it's like I chose and, and I keep choosing not to make any money from it because I don't want to be, I don't want my podcast to be an advert for something. If somebody's on there, it's about giving, I suppose. And that's, it's the same kind of thing that you're talking about there. This is about supporting people and giving people an opportunity to find out about something more easily. Yeah. And it's love. And I get to meet awesome people like you. I get to share, again, the word of aromatherapy because a lot of people go into stores. You could go into a drugstore and see a bottle of essential oil. Now, that didn't even exist really 10 years ago, I think. And people don't know what the heck to do with these things. So as professionals, we need to be there to have our organizations or professionals be like, here's the guidelines. And if you want to go deeper, yes, find an aromatherapist to work with. You know, I advocate for my profession and getting paid, but there's really top level stuff out there that we need to share with people that aren't like me that breathe, like are in the weeds every day. <laughs> you, you were saying earlier about you had a client last week who came in with issues from menopause and issues about sleep as well because you know apart from the hot flushes I think sleep is the or lack of sleep or sleep disturbances is the biggest problem for women going through menopause what what difference can aromatherapy make what oils and and think because I know lavender can help you sleep and blah 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 but yeah 
So there's there's a, a greatest hits uh, selection of plants <laughs> you can go to. That's what I call them. It's just my way of speaking. But, you know, um, this individual, because there's a spillover when you can't sleep, you're having a crappy day and that crappy day makes you have a worse night. But like hands down, it doesn't work for everybody. And please get your hormone levels checked because if you have estrogen dependent issues, you might not turn to some oils, but like some oils that are known to promote estrogen, quote, balance and be pro-estrogen, not saying they're, they are estrogen, but fennel also promotes breast milk production. You know, when you're at a stage in life where you are breastfeeding, fennel's helpful for that. Peppermint's known to dry up breast milk. But um, clary sage is a woman's friend, pro-estrogen, I'll say. I, like, I need to use different language. I can't sound medical, but I hope I'm coming across. It can help balance the hormones. Geranium is nice overall as a balancer of mood, and even it's nice on skin. You can also, we start to get drier as we age, men and women. Rose is moistening. Like constitutionally, rose water is very nice. Let me just think, Vitex. It's also called chaste tree berry, chaste berry, um, is known to be progesterone helpful. I'm probably, so one thing I do, I've had great success from a, you know, one-on-one -on -one basis. I distill for hydrosols, so floral, um, the, the water part you get from distillation. I've done a 50-50 hydrosol mix of clary sage and vitex berry from my garden. And it helps women with hot flashes because we always have to look at estrogen and progesterone. And Vitex is shown in a lot of herbals, a lot of wisdom out there about working with Vitex for progesterone balancing or helping. Who else? I don't have all my oils here. I have them at a different location. I was just giving some key ones there, like the clary sage, fennel, one I need to look into more cypress, Cupressa sempervirens, the beloved cypress, you know, Van Gogh and his paintings. Is there some evidence in some aromatherapy books that cypress is um, helpful to the ovaries? But it's, that's an interesting one. I, I would like to get see more research on because I've only seen it in a couple books. But Who does um, the research? A lot of really cool people. Um, well, I did mention, so would, if you go to like PubMed and stuff, you'll find scholarly research. Earlier, I mentioned countries like India is doing the research. They're doing the academic stuff. Egypt, uh, that whole part of the world, Latin America, there's scholars doing this research. And then you'll have some aromatherapists that go in and might get involved in that research or they'll try, they'll find it and, and, uh, What's the word? File it together and uh, put it together. Compile it. But yeah. thank you. I have that. I've had a crazy day. I'm like cake. Timing's off. Ah, <laughs> must bake a cake. <laughs> Compiling <laughs> research and coming up with some good reference books. But I, I think I shared some good oils there as a starter for people to look for. And do you? apply those to the skin do you inhale them should you actually ingest essential oils 
So I, I'm a fan for inhalation. So the client that I made stuff for, cause this is just fresh on the top of mind. I made an aromatic spritzer with the base of my hydrosols and essential oils in at, uh, I think I did a 2% dilution. So of that volume, 2% of that's essential oil. That's all you need. And I made her a wow. face oil because she, we talked about she really wanted a face oil. So I think I did that at 1.5%. So I did topical, but also I told her spray your hair so it gets to be inhalation. And she likes to put oil in her hair, like to help with split ends and stuff. So it was, it's both topical and inhalation. And I, I can't stress how inhalation is so powerful. Uh, I have to share, I have something on my website I want you to be aware of, to, like how do yeah. you smell an oil? And I have an exercise. But internal use has its place under someone who can make a product for you, like capsules, or I have made suppositories, but it is like I make something for you and it's done for a week, two weeks. You know, it's, it's very interesting. It must be diluted. It must be portioned properly. It's not daily use for whatever. Go and eat real food. <laughs> don't like, don't take lemon oil every day. There's no benefit to that. You can actually hurt your mucosa because it's so concentrated, you know, that internal use has its place. It depends on what country and jurisdiction and like legally what you can do here in the U.S., we really can't talk about internal use and it's really frowned upon. Uh, so you really have to be schooled and ideally you're a medical professional or you're a herbalist. So <laughs> it's dicey. Gonna, yeah. I was going to ask you something and I've completely forgotten. So you keep talking while I see if I remember what it is. Well, I think you did ask me about distillation before, but I wrote it down. That's why I remember. But I just feel like with the way I'm speaking about this, like, I just have to say as a representative for the Alliance of International Aromatherapists, we do not advocate for internal use. But knowingly, as I as a practitioner and with myself on very rare occasions, I have made myself pessaries. Um, I was working with, I'll be really honest, I had a hysterectomy just a few weeks ago. And I was, I had a very, very problematic fibroid. And I was working with myself for a small amount of time. I was uh, made myself pessaries. By the way, I found because essential oils work on our mood as well, on our neurotransmitters, the stuff I had in there, I had geranium, pelargonium graviolens, is balancing to mood. I found myself after about, it's always after about three days, I found myself like, oh yeah, I feel pretty, this is, this is okay. And uh, I'm sharing that to, I, because I'm really honest and share too much information, but geranium could have that effect. You could put it in a rollerball, apply once a day or twice a day, or you can smell it once or twice a day for like two minutes, three minutes. And if you do that daily for like two to three days, you might find you're like, oh, the edge is off. And that's what essential oils do. They take the edge off of things. They kind of try to bring you back to that. I don't like the word homeostasis or allostasis. It's the, I want to bring you back to where you are just like, yeah, I'm me. This is good. Yeah. I'm not sure some, a lot of us want to be me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, 
feeling feeling your best self living in New York City can be very irritating. Like if you let things get to you, they will. And when I am working with myself, like blends that I'll apply daily, I'll notice that I'm not as reactive. Like my itchiness, I call it, is taken down a few notches. And that's what essential oils do in that really emotional state. Um, and when I say emotions, I am always talking about neurotransmission. <laughs> like this is, it's not just like, oh, I feel happy. You know, it's like, there's that, that other level, but it's, it's great. But so I recommend, uh, geranium's not for everybody, but it can be really helpful if you find it in an off the shelf aromatherapy product. It's, it's interesting for the, that modulation, that balance. I think I'm going to go out and get some geranium today. So I'm going to wrap up in a few minutes. How can people get in touch with you? Do you do, yep. by the way, do you do like uh, online calls? Do you do Skype calls or video calls, consultations, or do you prefer to see people in person? Thanks for asking that. I, after doing Skype and video, uh, it's not in my heart because I really want the person to be with me, to smell the oils, to see if they can't stand it. They need to be there with the products. This, excuse me, I said that, that's terrible, with the oils, and I'll have examples of things I can make. You know, they have to be there. I have done remote educational consultations, um, which I'm a fan of because you could have someone get some of their own oils and things like that. But uh, like you can find me at my website uh, at nycaromatica.com. And you'll see me, I have my plant talk series where I'm at my house with my plants. I'll talk about the plant, the essential oil, what it likes. I have free um, classes that I keep adding to, like free how to diffuse essential oils class with some guidelines, free intro to aromatherapy. You just have to sign up and you'll get access. Um, so I'm a proponent of just sharing my passion because <laughs> I love teaching. Uh, and I have a podcast, Essential Aromatica, where I'll have like every other episode uh, is me connecting and trying to make aromatherapy accessible and talk about cooking. And I just started my Luna Aroma series again, where I have a meditation written that's paired with an oil called Luna Aroma, and it's I'm putting it out each new moon, around the new moon. So it's a way to connect with the oils. So I think you get my vibe. Like, I love the consultations, but that's for your local aromatherapist, you know, unless you're like, Amy, you're awesome. Can we do a like a video class, you know, like a 101? But I really love it with, if uh, geek out with me to learn about plants, but I'd love it if you found a local aromatherapist. And there's a lot of good ones in Australia. Cool. I'll have to get in touch with you about that as well, I think. Yeah, for sure. So is yeah. there anything else you want to convert? Is there anything we haven't covered? I can't remember what you said. Let me just check. Yeah, it's uh, a lot. I think we did. Lots of overall challenges and key essential oils. I think we, yeah, I think we pretty much covered it, didn't we? I just love these conversations. So thanks for having me because it's, it's really important to be honest about this stuff. <laughs> and I am really pro like, loving the plants, cook with them, have the spices in your cooking, make herbal teas, and there is a place for the essential oils. And um, we only need to work with tiny amounts of them because otherwise 
thick of these stupefying and really irritating <laughs> and overwhelming, honestly. It's kind of like it's, it's a support as opposed to a cure. That seems yeah. to be the basic uh, message that you've put across for me. How it, that's how it's landed yeah. for me. That I give you a total thumbs up to that. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> What's that one? Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's just, uh, uh, this is Sadras Diodora from India. So uh, cedar wood, one of the great oh. cedar woods. So really stabilizing uh, emotionally, kind of a grandfather presence. Oh, the grandfather you like. Some people you might have like, but that, that good, strong, <laughs> masculine type energy that we all have within us, man or woman. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me, Karen. This is really nice. I've had the best time and you'll have to send me a photo of that cake because you can't <laughs> send me any. <laughs> well. Thanks, Amy. Thanks. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and don't forget to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some thought-provoking information that can make a difference in your life. See you next time.